Welcome to the Inez Franklin Teaching and Sermons Podcast. Inez is a teaching pastor, public speaker, and founder at trochia.org. Learn more about Inez at www.inezfranklin.com. We hope this teaching brings you guidance, connection, or tools as we seek God together today. Enjoy the teaching. Good morning, good morning. Uh, Last Saturday night, uh, afternoon, uh, my mother fell and broke her right hip. And I couldn't be here last Sunday because we had to decide whether we should operate or not. Ultimately, it's not operable. Um, But many of you, I just want to thank you because many of you prayed for us, prayed for my mom, prayed for me. I received notes, emails, messages, and they were deeply encouraging and filled me with hope. So thank you for that. Um, The thing about it is I'm journeying with my mom. She's 85 years old. And as you know, at that time when you have a broken hip, it's pretty difficult to heal. It's very painful. And my mom is very anxious and she's dealing with a lot of agitation. And as I'm spending time with her, I'm trying to calm her down. You see, she was the first of 12 children. She helped my grandparents raise her kids. And then she had seven children on her own, and she raised them as a single mother. So what do you think? Is she hard to keep still? (laughs) I cannot keep her still. And because she can't move, she gets in a really bad mood, and it's not so good. So all week, I've been reading to her stories of faith. And throughout the Bible, there are so many wonderful stories of faith that give us hope, that give us peace, that give us encouragement. And I've watched as my mother's countenance completely changes as she hears these stories. And so it's in my heart today to share stories with you, to share this beautiful story of faith that we're going to look at in the book of Joshua. And next week, we're going to look at another story of faith, because I think, I think we all need hope, right? Anybody need hope today? We all need hope. We all need encouragement, and these stories are so, so powerful to do so. So today we're going to be in Joshua chapter 2, so if you have your Bibles, make yourself a way there, Um, and we're going to look at the story of Rahab and her faith, and one of the things that I'm going to point out right away is this idea of faith and how counterintuitive it is. The writer of Hebrews tells us, defines for us what faith is. It says that now faith is confidence in what we hope for and assurance about what we do not yet see. Faith is having confidence on something we're simply hoping for and assurance of something we can't even see. And doesn't that seem like a paradox? Like how can we have confidence if we don't really have it? How can we be assured of it if we don't actually see it? So right away, faith is this paradox for us. And all throughout scripture, I think the way of God is very different than the way of the world. And so often it's a paradox for us. So a few examples of that in James chapter four, you hear uh, that we're told to humble yourself to be honored. That seems like a paradox, doesn't it? Or when you are weak, this is from second Corinthians 12. When you are weak, you are strong. Luke tells us, give, and it will be given to you. That's a paradox. Or Matthew chapter 19, the last will be made first. In 1 Corinthians, to live, you must die. That's counterintuitive, isn't it? And in Matthew 10 or Galatians 2, it says, surrender your life to save it. 
All of these things, just like faith, are a paradox and they're different than the way we think. And as we look at this story, we're going to watch a story of a woman and the way the whole story comes about is a sense of paradox. It's this beautiful picture of the way of God versus the way of the world. And the first thing I want to sort of remind you of is the context of the story. As you remember, the people of Israel had been wandering in the wilderness with God for 40 years, and finally, it's time for them to enter into the promised land. We've been talking about the promised land as a representation of the promised life that God has for each and every one of us. And God gathers his people. He gives them a new leader, Joshua. He said, Joshua, be strong and courageous. I am about to give you the land I've already promised. Here's the land I've already given you. You're going to go forward and take it. And so he says, prepare the people for this land. And he, Joshua gathers the people. And the first thing he does is he sends two spies into the land. And specifically, he says, go into Jericho. This is one of the cities in this land. And it was representative of what they were about to face. See, the cities in this land were fortified cities, strong cities with walls. And these cities were equipped by weaponry. Jericho, the first city that they entered, was a city that had the power of metal. And so they had metal arms and they were plentiful amount of people. So this was going to be a tough enemy. So the spies are sent into the city to check it out. What are we up against, right? And the very first thing we read in, chap- in chapter 2, verse 1, it says, so they went into the city. They entered the house of the prostitute named Rahab and stayed there. Hmm, that causes us to pause for a minute. The spies are sent into the city and they stop and they enter into the house of the prostitute named Rahab. I'm thinking, was that part of the instructions, Joshua? But here's the first thing we learn. You see, the house of the prostitute named Rahab, we're told later, was built on the wall of the city and by the city gate. And it would be traditional as you enter into a city. I mean, you see it like at the airports. What do you see right next to airports everywhere? Hotels, inns, motels, places to stay. Show up to the city, you have a place to stay. So this was kind of like an inn right by the gate where people could stay. And a lot of people say, well, that's all that it was. But scripture makes it pretty clear This is a house of a prostitute. So maybe this was a bed and breakfast with perks. I don't know. (laughs) It was on the edge of the city, and Rahab, a prostitute, lives there and runs this inn. Now, at that time, any of these inns would have been ran by men, not by women, and certainly not by a woman with a story like this. And the thing is, the city was an oval city with walls, but it had inner rings of walls as well. So the people on the edge were less protected than the people at the center. Rahab was at the edge of the city, the furthest point of the city. Why? Because she was a prostitute. And you know, I cannot help but think, especially today, I love how God works, is that today we're celebrating what's called Freedom Sunday. This is a Sunday where we're celebrating, or not celebrating, but praying, actually, for the people who are enslaved. We're celebrating that God is the one who brings freedom. And Rahab was a woman at the edge of the city with a terrible story, because what little girl is born wanting to be a prostitute one day? Nobody does. No woman ever wants to become that. It usually happens because some abuse, some pain, 
some disregard, some being left behind, being sold out. And so Rahab is living out the reality of her life. And you know, there are millions of people today who are enslaved one way or the other. In fact, statistics say that there are more than 40 million slaves around the world today. And I want to just take a moment before we continue on Rahab's story and pray for those people. Can we do that? You know, there are places around the world where literally you will walk on the street and see children in cages being sold. It's horrifying. So let's just take a moment and pray for them. Father, as this day has been set aside as Freedom Sunday, we are crying out to you for the many men, women, children who are enslaved even in our day. Here we're speaking about a woman thousands of years ago who herself was enslaved into prostitution. And Father, there are women and children and even boys doing the same today. And you are a just and loving God. You hate evil. You do something about evil. And you do not change, oh God. You cared about them then and you care about them today. So we gather together as a community praying, Father, that you would end slavery, that you would release the captives, that you would bring an end to the usage of bodies as objects. And Lord, I pray for the workers who are doing what they can to solve this problem. Would you encourage them today? Would you give them strength? Would you give them a vision, God? Would you give them the tools? This is problem is way too big for them, beyond what they can imagine. Would you help them, Lord? Believe that you're the one fighting ahead of them. We raise all of these prayers up, believing that you hear us, you love us, and you love every single person who is struggling beyond, beyond what we could imagine. We thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So Rahab, the prostitute, we learn in this story, she puts her faith not on the gods of her city, but on the God of the Israelites. Why do I say that? Because what happens is these spies come into her home and she immediately recognizes them as Israelites. And as they are in conversation, she realizes they're about to be uh, pursued by the soldiers in the city. And sure enough, they find out these men are staying in her home. And the king sends men to go and get them. Hey, I know you've got these spies in your home. Give them up. We've got to deal with them. Rahab makes a choice to hide those men. She takes them to the roof of her home. She hides them underneath the flax uh, that she was drying in her roof. And there she protects them from the king which shows her decision to trust in the God of the Israelites instead of trusting in the gods of Jericho. What gods were those? You see, Jericho's believed in all kinds of God, and all of them were represented by one God called Baal. And Baal was a God that took. He wanted more and more and more. And Jericho was essentially a city known for its brutal sacrifice of children. In fact, if you read some history, you'll find out that some of the houses in Jericho were built and they would sacrifice a child, put it on the walls so they could appease the gods and the gods would be pleased and they would have good favor. Such evil was happening in the city for hundreds of years that God brought judgment into that city. 
God brought judgment against the evil that was happening in that place. But these gods were the gods that this city believed in. Rahab already knew those gods were powerless because she watched, she heard, being right there at the city wall, at the inn that people immediately stayed at when they came into the city. He had heard about the God of the Israelites who had walked with them, who had defeated great enemies and did not require children to be sacrificed. Oh yes, they had their sacrificial system, but it was not children and it was different. This was a God who gave, not a God who took. And she decides to put their trust in him. And that was dangerous because if she were caught, she would have been killed. Not only that, she would have been using as an example to others who were coming against the king. And so she hides them. And then she walks up to the roof and she tries to deal with them. Would you, would you um, protect me? I protected you. Would you protect me? She believes in their God, and now she's putting, making a commitment to stay and faithful to that God. And this is what they tell her. They say, our lives for your lives, the men told her. If you don't tell what we are doing, we will treat you kindly and faithfully when the Lord gives us the land. She says, listen, I know the Lord... Your God is the God of heaven and the God of earth from from above and below. And I know this God. And they said, okay, if you believe in that God, then do as we say, and the Lord will give you favor. And so she makes a commitment to trust in that God. The first thing we have to do is we have to believe that God is good. We have to understand there is no other like the Lord. And then we have to make a commitment to trust in what God is calling us to do. And she does. And then she's called to follow through. She lets down the men. uh, When the soldiers leave, she lets the men down her window. And this is what we read in verse 15. It says, so she let them down by a rope through the window. Now the men had said to her, this oath you made us swear will not be binding on us unless we enter the land. When we enter the land, you have tied this scarlet cord in the window through which you were let us down. And unless you have brought your family, your brothers, your sisters, and their family into your house. So Rahab, you've believed in our God. Rahab, you have, you have put your faith in him. You have made a commitment. But listen, this is not going to be binding unless you keep your faith in this God. And this is how you're going to do it. You're going to throw a rope, this same rope, and leave it out your window so that... When we come, when we come to bring judgment into the city, you will be spared. And I love that, that God is a just and loving God. God is going to do something about evil. And we want that, don't we? We want a God who will deal with cancer, don't we? We want a God who will deal with with abuse. We want a God who will deal with uh, death and murder and slavery. We want a God who will deal with the injustices of the world. And this is what God does. But God is merciful. And he always gives us a chance to trust him and have faith in him. And when we do, he is faithful to, to save us. So he says, throw down the rope. So here's my attempt. I made a rope the best I could with some fabric. And Rahab threw this rope down her window for the men. And they climbed out of the city using a rope. Now... I love it when the Bible does weird things, not weird things, but things that intrigue me because I'm a total Bible geek. Any Bible geeks in the house? Yay. Okay. The rest of you, you're going to love this too. I know it because 
We could have easily been told Rahab dropped a rope and the guy said, hey, drop the same rope down and, you know, we could have gotten the picture. They maybe wanted to see a sign or maybe they wanted to climb up the city through that rope, right? But the Bible goes out of its way to say to us, tie this scarlet cord in the window through which you let us down. It tells us it's a scarlet cord, a little piece of extra information that you go, What does it matter? It could have been yellow. It could have been blue. Usually, you know, she was growing flax in her roof. And with flax, she could make fabric and make twine. And twine is essentially like that brown beige color, right? And so who cares the color of the rope? But it has tremendous meaning. Because what we're going to see is that this has a huge message to us about faith. So I'm going to give you some Beautiful pictures of how the Bible is threaded through. You know, they say the best stories are threaded through with a particular point, right? It's almost like a clothesline and and everything is clipped onto the same clothesline. Well, the Bible has a red cord through the whole thing. Now you have to, that's just amazing. There are 66 books written over 1,500 years by different people, and yet there's a unified message through the whole Bible, and it has to do with this picture of the scarlet cord. So let me break it down for you. In Genesis 38, we see a red cord being used to tie the, the, the hand of a little baby born out of the tribe of Judah. It was used to identify Judah as the line through which the Messiah one day would be born. Later, in Exodus, in Exodus 26, we read about the tabernacle, that this is essentially the tent that would house the presence of God. And God gives them exact directions on how to build this tent, which eventually later was built into a temple. And he tells them, this is how you are to build the curtains. This is how you are built the clothing for the priests. And on these clothing, on these uh, curtains was threads of gold, blue, and purple. And what other? Scarlet. And so we see this color as well. And it's said by commentaries that gold, blue, and purple represent the glory of Jesus, the priestly uh, power of Jesus, but the red represents his sacrifice. All right? Now, in Numbers 19, there is a, a whole sacrificial system for the people of Israel. And this was a sacrifice for anyone who was touching a dead corpse. And this is what they had to do. They had to go find a red cow. Anybody seen a red cow? I've never seen a red cow. But it's called a heifer. And a red cow was to be sacrificed, put on fire. And in Numbers 19, it actually tells us that they were to throw some things in that fire, including scarlet cord. And this heifer represented, when, it was, when the ashes were collected, they were used to purify anyone who touched a dead corpse. So already you see the theme of this red scarlet in scripture, but here's where it gets very interesting. Psalm 22. Psalm 22 is one of the Psalms that is often referred to as a beautiful prophecy about Jesus. It's written by David thousands of years before, hundreds of years before, excuse me. And in that Psalm, it says a lot about who Jesus was going to be. 
It says a lot about how uh, all who see me mock me. They hurl insults at me. It says how we are being, um, he says, I, 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 you, you trust me from my mother's womb. I cast out uh, my body to you. It says, um, I'll show you all the different things it says. Let me, let me read through it real quick because I'm trying to sit, speak and read at the same time. Anybody try that? Not a good idea. Uh, in verse 6, it says, to, uh, verse 5, to you they cried out and were saved if they trusted and were not put to shame. But I am a worm and not a man, scorned by everyone, despised by the people. That's when he says, they mocked me. They hurled insults at me. This is Jesus. This is a beautiful picture of Jesus on the cross. And now let me tell you about this worm. Let me tell you how it connects. The word for scarlet in Joshua chapter 2 is a word that represents a particular worm in the Middle East. It's a Hebrew word that is representing this little creature. It's an insect that actually loses its legs, and then it looks like a worm. And this insect climbs up an oak tree that is very common in the Middle East, and it burrows itself onto the tree and builds up a shell, a hard shell, around itself so that it cannot be separated from the tree without it being destroyed. And there the mama worm has the babies. And as soon as the babies, the larvae are born, they begin to eat the body of the worm. And then a red dye is produced by the death of the mother. That red dye fills up the little, little cavity, and it also makes the larvae red. That worm was used, is still used in the Middle East to produce red dye for fabric. It's a pretty good chance that Rahab had a little side business where she was producing red dye and fabric that was red in color. As we see in scripture that Lydia was producing scarlet fabric. And this picture of this little scarlet worm coloring the fabric is the picture and the, the, what it does on the tree is a picture of Christ himself who gave his body. The only way to get the ink out of this worm is to crush it. The only way for it to happen is for it to die so that the larvae will live. And then what happens over time, as it dies, fully dies, and the larvae are able to leave, the mother becomes white, and it flakes off and goes into the sky, like, almost like snow, falling down almost like manna. Now picture that. Isn't it beautiful how Scripture reminds us that Jesus himself chose to go on the cross. It wasn't nails that held him there, but his love. That he died, shed his blood for you and I, that we would have life. When he says, I am born warm, even in Psalm 22, the word for warm there is the same word, the name of this particular insect. Today, we know this insect as the Kermis vermilio, Look it up online. You'll see lots of pictures of it. It still exists today. And it has this amazing picture of Jesus Christ and what he has done for us. And in Matthew 27, it says, they stripped him, they stripped Jesus, and they put on him what? A scarlet robe. So there's no mistake here that in Rahab's story, we're told, put out the scarlet robe. Keep it on your window until we come back. So when we come into the city, you will be saved. It's a picture of salvation that we have in Jesus Christ. 
You see, for Rahab, this robe worked the same way that the, it happened in the Passover when the people of Israel were told by God, sacrifice a lamb, take its blood, put it over your door. And when the spirit came through the city of Egypt, trying, God was trying to rescue the people of Egypt and the Pharaoh refused to let them go. God finally came through the city and killed every firstborn. But anyone who had this blood on their door was saved. It was called Passover because the spirit of death literally passed over their home. So for Rahab, this rope represented the same thing, a picture of her trust in God, that God would save her in the moment of judgment. Faith has that power in us. Faith gives us life. But the thing about it is Rahab had to wait. She had to wait. She put out the rope and the guys took off. And now she has to wait for them to come and wait and wait and wait. It isn't until Joshua 6 that they come into the city. Listen, all kinds of stuff happened while she was waiting by this, while this rope was hanging out her window. And you got to imagine people are walking by the wall going, Rahab, what's this stuff by your window? Why is this sticking out? She had to somehow explain to, to her friends, her visitors, her family, why she had to keep this out. You can imagine this. She invites her family to her home. She says, the people of Israel, they're going to come. They're going to take the land. They have a powerful God. And in order for us to be saved, we must be in this house. We must stay in this house and have this red rope out the window. And I'm thinking some of those family members were like, Rahab, I don't want to be in the house with you. I never even like to visit you because of your story. But they're staying. Every day she has to explain to them. They're probably going, when are they coming? Are they coming today? Are they coming tomorrow? What's taking so long? Why aren't they here yet? And I'm wondering, every time she waited, did she get worried that maybe she put her faith in the wrong thing? And maybe she pulled back a little. Like, well, I don't know. Maybe that wasn't a wise idea. Maybe, this isn't, maybe that God isn't going to come through. And here's what, ha- what happens while she waits. Of course, Joshua gathers all the people, over 2 million people. Have you ever tried to put people on a line and get them to like order up so you can take them somewhere? I mean, try the teachers of school, trying to get the kids to line up. It's a lot of work with 12 kids. Imagine 2 million people. And Joshua figures out a way to get them lined up and says, okay, we're going to cross the Jordan. And so they all lined up. They're ready to go. Let's do this. And the seas part, the uh, the Jordan River parts, and they now have to cross. How long does it take 2 million, 3 million people to cross a little river? A long time. Come on, people, let's go. We've got Rahab waiting over there. She's, She's in danger because if anybody finds out, she's going to be killed by the king. So let's move it, people. I'm sure they were moving slow. They finally make it to the other side. And now they say, well, we gotta stop and worship God because he got us through. So they put a whole monument together. They do a whole worship service. And Rahab's like, come on, God, let's get to this. And then they go, okay, we have to baptize, I mean, circumcise the men. What? All the men have to be circumcised. And that takes a long time. And of course, they have to heal because they can't go to battles circumcised. Come on, men, you know what I'm talking about. And so they're like, okay, so now they have to heal. So they're ready for battle all along. Rahab's going, where is God? And maybe she's going, maybe I did not trust in the same one. In the waiting, it's so hard, isn't it, to hold on to our faith? to believe that God is going to come through. When we're waiting and when things aren't happening the way we expect, we think, well, maybe my faith, I put it in the wrong God. And then it gets worse because 
The people finally come, and she's like, yes, family, they're here. Look at them. They're all lined up. They're ready to go. They're coming towards the city. Finally, here comes the day we're going to be saved. And all the people do is go around the city. What? The next day, they do it again. They're just going around the city. What, are they going on some little, like, practice walk or something? Are they exercising their bodies? Every day she's waiting. Day by day, six days, all they do is walk around the city. And on the seventh day, they walk around seven times. I am thinking by now her faith is reaching the max because it's like these people are doing nothing. I put my faith in the wrong thing. And then all they do is scream. I, I mean, by now, I am got to believe Rahab was going out of her mind. She couldn't explain it to anyone else. These people are doing nothing. They're just screaming at the walls. And the walls start to fall. If that's not bad enough, the walls start to fall. And where does Rahab live? She lives on the wall. And the wall's falling all around her. So now she's thinking, for sure I put my faith in the wrong thing. Now my, my house is going to fall too. So I'm thinking she pulled it in a little bit more. Does that happen to you? You put your faith in God. You put all your eggs in that basket, if you know what I'm saying. You're like, God, I'm going to trust you. I'm going to believe in you. But things don't happen the way you expect. And all the circumstances point that perhaps you put your hope in the wrong place and that you're trusting in the wrong thing. And just as it gets that desperate, Rahab is saved. Her house does not fall. And she indeed is saved to life. The gift of her waiting, the gift of her faith was life. In Hebrews 11, it says, by faith, the prostitute Rahab, because she welcomed the spies, was not killed with those who were disobedient. It was by her faith that she was able to experience life. In fact, this beautiful picture of the cord, when you read it in Hebrew from Joshua chapter 2, the, the cord itself, the word, the Hebrew word for the cord represents hope and expectation. Because of her hope and expectation, because of her confidence in what she did not yet have, because of her assurance of what she could not see, Rahab was saved and she was given life. We're told that again in Joshua chapter 6, she lives among the Israelites today. She was received into the people of Israel. She didn't just get life. She got life to the fullest. Not only that, but she ended up marrying a man named Solomon, who was a fellow Israelite. And together they had their son Boaz. Boaz, right there in the line of Jesus Christ. If you look at Matthew chapter 1, and you see the line of the genealogy of Jesus, you're going to find three women. One of them is Rahab, the mother of Boaz. She received life and life to the fullest. She would have never imagined when her faith was at the weakest, where perhaps she was most afraid she put her trust in the wrong one. She would have never imagined that she would be part of the genealogy of Jesus Christ. You have no idea how God is going to use your story, your faith, to minister, to, uh, to do something into the life of another person, a child, a grandchild, another generation, your neighbors. You have no idea how your faith story is going to be used by God to bring salvation to others. So you hold on to your faith. And you believe somehow, some way, God is working in something you could have never even imagined. And that's what happened with Rahab. Not only did she receive life, 
she received life to the fullest. Not only did she receive life to the fullest, she was considered in James righteous for what she did. And what did she do? She simply trusted in God. You see, this God does not require of us to do a whole bunch of things. He simply wants us to put our whole faith in him. And if our whole faith is a tiny little bit of faith, that's enough. Because it's told in scripture that if you have faith as small, this is in Matthew 17, as small as a mustard seed, that's enough for you to accomplish great things. That's enough for God to do the impossible in your life and in the life of those around you. You see, people are watching you as you live out your faith. She saw the God of the Israelites as these men came. People see God as you live out your faith, your little teeny faith or your huge faith, wherever you are. People see that in your life. And with that, they can believe in the God who saves. So are you willing to let that be seen? Are you willing to really hang it out there? Are you willing to let people ask you tough questions? And say, what, what is this you believe in? You're in the middle of this financial situation. Do you really think God's going to come through? You can't pay the rent. Are you serious? You think God's going to help you figure that out? Your marriage is dead. You honestly think God can save that? And the answer is yes. You don't believe it. I, I didn't do a good job. I had to start all over again. <laughs> I know you're thinking. Because it is quite remarkable. That the God who we just sang, the God who is the Lord of Lords, the King of Kings, the creator of the universe, is also the servant who made himself nothing for us. And that we can have our faith in him. It's a paradox. It's a paradox. The one who gave his life is giving life to you and I. I made, uh, actually, my mom helped me make these. It helped keep her hands busy. And that was good. These are little ropes to remind you of the scarlet rope that Rahab put out the window. And they have three knots representing the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. The full Godhead who gave it all for us. And my desire for you is that you would take this with you, maybe wrap it around your wrists. Ladies, I know it doesn't go with your nice pretty jewelry. It's kind of like so-so looking. Man, you're like, I don't wear jewelry. Thank you, not thank you. But that's the point. I wanted it to stick out and be slightly ugly. So someone would go, what are you wearing? What is that? And maybe you'll enter into a conversation with someone about where you are trusting God and where are you putting your faith in him. And maybe through that conversation, they'll see God through you through your story, like we're seeing God through Rahab's story. And as we close, I want to remind us of the table of communion, because here's where we see this picture of Jesus giving his body and shedding his blood for us. We are reminded of it. And he, that's, I put some of the ropes there so you can take communion and then take one with you. And I'm going to read out of 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse um, 23. And this is Paul writing about the importance of remembering Jesus Christ. No different than the importance of remembering for Rahab to remember to keep the scarlet rope out there. 
we remember what Jesus has done. Listen to what it says. For I received from the Lord what I also passed on to you. The Lord Jesus, on the night he was betrayed, took bread. And when he had given thanks, he broke it and said, This is my body, which is for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, after supper, he took the cup, saying, This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. For when you eat this bread and drink this cup, you proclaim the Lord's death until he comes. Would you stand? As you prepare to take communion, to remember the sacrifice of Jesus, to embrace his gift and maybe renew your faith, I want, to, I want you to ask yourself these questions or have a little dialogue with the Lord. What do you believe about God? Do you need to make some changes there? Maybe you need to make a commitment with God. Have a dialogue with the Lord and say, God, I want to go deeper. I want to go, I want to commit to this faith. Maybe you need to follow through. Maybe you've already committed, but you're not following through. Maybe today you can follow through, and maybe you need help in the waiting. So maybe a dialogue with God about the difficulty of the waiting. So the communion, the candles for hope, the confessional cross, the elder right up front, and the prayer team, the offering boxes, these are all stations with whom, in places where you can have those conversations with the Lord. Let us all take a deeper step into faith today. And then we will gather together and we will worship the God who is worthy of our faith. Amen? Go ahead. Go ahead and respond. Thank you again for listening. Make sure to learn more about Inez Franklin at www.inezfranklin.com. You can help share these teachings by leaving a review on Apple Podcasts and sending this episode to a friend. Make sure to follow Inez Franklin on Instagram, Twitter, Facebook, and more, where she is engaging with the community and inviting us to participate with God and His work together. Thanks again. Thanks again.